0: Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. Our days are in your hands. We do not know about the coming days. There could be a lockdown again. But we have come through it all and we can go through it again. As long as you are with us, we'll come out stronger, always better. Always. For you are the Lord that leads us in paths of righteousness. For your name's sake. Could it be green pastures? Could it be still waters? Or it could be even the valley of shadow of death. If you go with us, we know we will come out better. So this morning I commit all your children here, everywhere into thy hands, as they are tuned in, listening. I speak your mercy, your peace, your grace upon them, Lord. Your grace is sufficient for us. Whether somebody is sitting whole and healthy in the comfort of their home, or maybe in a hospital room, wherever they are listening, you are there with them. And I pray, Father, you will reach out and touch them. Somebody may need healing, somebody may not need healing, but in everybody's life there is a need. And I pray this morning, you would touch them, meet them at their point of need. Oh Lord, that you would bless them and keep them. Above all, touch our ears, Lord, all who are here, everywhere listening, touch our ears. That we don't go home with stories. We go home. Knowing what? You spoke to us. And we go from here having learned more of you and your ways. Speak to us, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We are with Gideon. We'll continue with Gideon. We'll finish. Gideon is one of those very important, very, very important what you call... Characters in the Bible. Very important character in the Bible. And he is in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 as one of the stalwarts of faith. How God could take a fearful and desperate man. He was both fearful, but he didn't run into the mountains. He was desperate. So he got into a wine press and was trying to save his harvest. So he was fearful and desperate and how God makes him a champion. Okay, so it doesn't matter what we are now or what we feel about us now, what matters is we can learn from Gideon how to take those steps of faith and become what God has called us to be. So like I said while I was praying, we are not learning history, <coughs> though we learn history. Okay? But we learn through the history of God's people, God's ways, how God dealt with God's people. Primary principle is not to learn stories, though in Sunday school you learn stories. The primary principle is to learn of God, the ways of God. Why is it so important? Because he's the only person in the universe who will never change. So it's God good to know somebody who never changes, because ultimately he's the one who's going to judge all of us. And blessed is he or she who learns the ways of God, and learns to walk in those ways. Okay? So keep that in mind. Because he never changes. So when we are studying the word of God, we are studying also about God, of God, the ways of God. (coughs) We are in the sixth chapter of the book of Judges. You know Judges, Joshua to Judges, there is a transition. It is interesting (coughs) You look into the book of Joshua and Judges, and you look into Christian history of the church, it's practically the same. Joshua is a book of war. It's a book of war. They enter the promised land, they have to fight, and they fight, and they win all their wars, and they have rest from their enemies. But what happens is, Israel got used to God as a God of war. It's a God of war. And then wars ceased. And when rest and peace and prosperity came, they forgot God as the God of war. There is no war. And they start looking around at the Canaanite gods. Okay. The day you cease fighting, the day you cease fighting, and start getting complacent, start fighting, you start looking around for other gods. That's how other gods creep into our lives. They don't creep in as idols or anything. Okay, that's why war is important. But our God is not just a god of war. He's the only God. There are other gods, but they are not gods. Okay, so please get this picture very, very clearly. When it comes to war, actually, war over sin and deliver us from sin. There is no other god. You look at any religion, from ancient times to today, there is not a single God who promises to save his people on his own. Not a single God. It's only Jesus. There's not a single God anywhere. It's left to man to work out your own salvation. And there is no guarantee by any God ever in history except Jesus. So God is a man of war. God is a God of war. He fights the devil, he fights sin, and he delivers his people. But once he has set us free, is the problem. So all the messages we preach from here is not for non-believers. They will not understand it, though there may be evangelical messages and uh, you may get saved. But primarily, It is for people who are saved. And if you are not saved, the word will go over your head, hit the glass and come back to me. Okay? So when war ceases, when war ceases, okay, it is um, Hebrews chapter 12 and uh, verse 3. 12 verse 3. Okay? Verse 3. 12, 3. Uh, Verse 4. Consider him and your decision. Okay? Verse 4. 12.4, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Meaning there is this war against sin. A lot of us just give up. We just have ceasefire with the enemy, with the flesh. We have ceasefire with the enemy, with the flesh, and war ceases. As soon as that battle ceases, you have not resisted to bloodshed to the point you have, meaning you will have to come to a point in your life where it is either sin and love or I will not sin if I have to, I will die. That is Daniel's three friends. That is when they experience the fourth man walking with them. But when it comes to this, most Christians, let us say, is that they stop their fight. And when they stop their fight, the fight is that they start looking at other gods, other gods. Because our God is a God of war, and we know if you have to overcome sin, only Jesus can help us, but we are no longer into that. So we have we have made not that we have rest with sin, we have made our own rest with sin. And we start looking at other gods. Okay. And who do we turn to? If you look at judges, where did they turn to? They turned to Baal. Baal, Asharat, and all just names for prosperity. Simply money. Okay, Everybody wants money. Why? Because money buys you the things which you want. God also prospers, offers prosperity. But when you look at God's offer of prosperity, we see his terms are too difficult. Too difficult. Okay? Too many conditions. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And this righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And there is no clarity about things there. <laughs> With Baal you can go and ask for anything. With God you can't ask for anything either. Okay, So you know what? Baal on the other hand when it comes to prosperity he doesn't set many conditions. And his conditions actually suit the flesh. That is how even within Christendom, people gravitate towards churches. Like I keep saying, there are very few churches that preach the word of God. They are all motivational speakers. What are they motivating you to? To go worship Baal. What is Baal connected to? This world. Baal and this world are together. They are not motivating you to follow God and to serve God and to fight this good battle of faith with fear and trembling, to be willing to, to the point of shedding blood in your battle. Like, they're not, they're motivational speakers. Only thing that changed, Baal, see, <clears throat> let me tell you, God has a major issue if you call him by any other name. Devil has no issue if you call him by any other name. Even if you don't call him by any name, he's okay. As long as you don't worship the living God. So he's got no issue. You can give the devil any name, he's okay. If you tell him he's there, he's okay. If you tell him he's not there, he's okay. As long as you do not worship this living God, he's okay. That is how the devil fools people. The devil does not have a name. He doesn't give you a name. Look at pagan history from ancient time onwards. The names of gods. Hundreds, thousands. Can call me by any name. I am okay. God says, I am that I am. You cannot have, there's only one name in the heavens by which you can be saved. The name of Jesus. There's no other name. So please understand. If you don't understand why we struggle, or we don't struggle, <laughs> Because we have made peace with the enemy, okay, we will realize how we slip into idolatry. Okay? And when Israel stops, battle is over, they don't fight anymore, they also slowly stray into idolatry. And idolatry is the replacing of that one true God with anything else. You know, it is very easy to win idolater, very easy to win idolater. You don't have to replace God with bad things. You can replace God with good things. Good things. Very good things you can replace. You can replace God with good things. But in the process, you break commandment 1 and commandment 2. You break it. Okay. I'm just giving you a background to how things work in the book of Judges and all. So when God's people stray away, God's people stray away, whether it's in Israel or the church. When they stray away, they move into idolatry. Please understand this. Listen to these two terms. God's reaction is a reaction of grief, not of despair. Understand the difference. God grieves. He's not desperate. He's not desperate. They are not the same. They're not the same. We see lots of people falling away from faith, big names, like Paul Maxwell and all have declared now. These are people whose books and all people used to revolve it. I'm not a believer anymore. Do we get desperate? No. We grieve. Paul was desperate that Dimas left. No, he grieved. The statement of grief. Demas has left me. There's no desperation in the kingdom of God. There is only grief. When Saul fell away, God grieved. Samuel grieved. There's no desperation. You fall away, God grieves. He's not desperate because he can raise ten others. If I fall away from ministry, God is not desperate. Oh, James is gone. What will grace tabernacle do? He's like, I can raise two more. Okay. So please understand this. God grieves. He's not desperate. I think it was to George. Uh, wherever somebody said so many people have uh, left your organization stopped serving God and left your organization what do you have to say? he said more people have stopped learning violin after starting you know that's the truth more people have left learning music after they started than people have fallen away from the kingdom of God meaning this continuing this thing is not there in most people even in God's kingdom, most people do not really succeed. It's because they won't persevere. There has to be this "I will not quit" attitude, and God slowly builds us up to that. Okay, there are very few people who finish the race in anything, anything, and we need to have that attitude. That's what Hebrews twelve four was talking about. In your battle against sin, don't quit. When you quit, you will look into other gods. <clears throat> then if you come to Judges 6 and verse 1, we looked two days back on Judges 6. We looked quite a bit. We are not looking that over again, but the first words. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Again, when you, if you are authentically, truly a child of God, God is handing you over to discipline you and not to destroy you. You need to understand that. Okay, let us say um, that is little one, Sarah over here. Let us say that's our child. So when you take her to school, you know let us say she's very naughty. Or let us say Abigail, Pastor Vijay is there. Abigail is very naughty. And he puts her to school, he takes her to the school, and he tells the teacher, you know what. She needs discipline. So if she does anything, punish her nicely. Now what is he handing his child over to? To discipline, not to destroy. Now come back. Let us say one week later, she comes back with the wells all over. He'll go back and confront the teacher. I told you to discipline her, not to destroy her. Okay. So that is why Israel has remained till today when all nations have perished. God handed Israel over for discipline never to be destroyed. So God will always have a remnant in Israel. God will always have a remnant in church who will not be destroyed, but who will receive discipline. Okay. So understand that thing. That's what is happening. God is handing them over into the hand of whom? Media. And the problem was here that the enemies of God did not understand that. There were many nations into whose hands Israel was handed over to discipline Israel. But they didn't realize that. They tried to destroy Israel. You know what? God came and he destroyed them. He came back and destroyed them. He said, "I, you didn't understand. These are my kids. This is my children. Israel is my firstborn. And the church, every nation dispensation in the past 2,000 years that have risen against the church has been destroyed. Has been destroyed. And he will destroy all the nations that comes to destroy the church or Israel, he will destroy. Why? He will use nations, he will use situations and all for what? To discipline us. That is the fundamental principle, right? Right. So even when the father hands over a child into somebody's hands to discipline, his watchful eye is over the child. That is what Hebrews 12, 5-7 says. Oh, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. So what son is there whom a father? So think is that God endures chastening. <coughs> it is not the same. You have to end how long is the period of chastening? Only God knows. With the Midianites, it was seven years. Seven years. And those who endured will come through. God alone knows. The time to stop disciplining us—we don't know. God alone knows. Seven, not the fifth year, not the third year, not the fourth year, not the sixth year. In this case, it was the sixth, seventh year. God raised up Gideon. God came. It's not that um, Gideon was crying out to the Lord. No, God came to Gideon. What was God doing? God was saying, "Discipline is over for you this season, for this generation." Mm. That is why it is written. <coughs> That God hands them over or delivered them into the hands of their enemies, and the time frame is what seven years. Seven years. That's the difference, okay? If you, if you, if you look at, I mean, what fascinates me about U.S. about U.S. United States of America, unlike any other country other than Israel and U.S., there is always a, a remnant in U.S. that refuses to give up refuses to you. They will say, you know what? Our forefathers made a covenant with God. Therefore, oppression will cease. He will deliver us. You don't see that in Britain. Britain never made a covenant with God. Germany never made a covenant. they are all so-called Christian nations. But you don't see that remnant in any of these people holding on to this and says, you know what? God will deliver us. We will cry out to the Lord and God will deliver. You see that in Israel. You see that in America. You don't see it. Not even Canada. Not even Mexico. You don't see it. Any nation. Any nation. That God will deliver us. You know why? Because it's based, His relationship with us is based on a covenant. God has made a covenant. So, you know, people who are covenanted with God. You believed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that is the blood of the covenant that cleanses you. You went to the covenant of baptism and you made a covenant with the body of Christ by attaching yourself to the body of Christ and being faithful to the body of Christ in the hour of trouble when you cry out. You know, there is a deliverer that comes into your life. You have hope. Like I said, he has begotten us to a living hope. Where does it come from? Because you are truly born again. And the blood works for you. The blood cleanses you. The blood sanctifies you. The word speaks to you. And the church, you know, you are you are attached to the body of Christ. Okay? And God delivers you because you have a covenant. So if you read, I'm not going there, Deuteronomy 28, When they disobeyed, God had the consequences of breaking that covenant and disobeying the covenant. If you read it, your eyes will pop off. You would not want to read it. The consequences of God's people going away from God. What their enemies would do to them is basically what? He says, you are surviving only because my hand is upon you. If I take my hand off, you will see how the world will come after you, destroy you. But I will allow it and I will allow you to be scattered all around the world. Yet, that was not destruction. It was discipline. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 to 6, he was telling them, On the other hand, when, how far, it doesn't matter how far you are, when you repent and turn back, now it shall come to pass, when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you. And you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart, with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where your Lord God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you. And then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possess. You shall possess it. You will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart, the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul that you may live. What is he saying? to us new covenant he says you are my child a true child if you're my true child if you go away into the ends as far as you can from me you be very sure my eyes upon you i will spank you but i will never destroy you and i will bring you back when you cry out to the lord lord have mercy on me i will bring you from that pit you dug for yourself that's the story of the prodigal son jesus is talking about That man went as, that young man went as far as he could go from the father's house. As far. Went into such diabolical sins. And God allowed him into the hand of God upon him. Ultimately he was in the pig pen. But from there when he cried out, he came to his senses. He cried out. He was restored back to sonship. No questions asked. Okay? So that's why it's important to know you are genuinely born again. Genuinely born again. Because it's a guarantee. It says we have been sealed and we have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit. There is nothing more important in this life than of being born. Not about being born. For many who are born, it is a curse. Because they will end up in hell. They will wish they were not born. They were not born. But to be born again is the greatest, greatest blessing. So therefore remember. We grieve, but we do not despair. We do not despair. So here is this man Judges six and verse twelve. God appears to a man who is fearful, <clears throat> very fearful, yet desperate. He's sitting in a wine press and threshing his wheat, and God comes to him, and what does the angel of the Lord say? A capital is usually Theophany of, any of uh, um, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ appears and said to him the Lord is with you mighty man of valor now he is neither mighty nor has he any valor he is fearful and desperate okay three things you need to understand (coughs) here when God addresses us when people speak to you (coughs) or rather speak about you when people speak about you or me they will always go to your past always go to your past you know what He was like that, she was like that. When you speak about yourself, you'll speak about your present, but I am not like that. I was like that, but I am not like that. God doesn't look at your past. God doesn't look at your present. He always looked at your future, what you are and will be in Christ if you believe and obey and step. Okay, so when the angel of the Lord comes, he's not looking at Gideon's past. He's not looking at his present, fearful and desperate. He's looking into his future. If you that's why Bible says all things are possible to him or her who believes. So he calls us, and we know these verses so well, right? <coughs> First Corinthians 1, 2. This is a terrible church. Okay, it's a terrible church. Like John MacArthur and all, I don't think we'll preach in this church. <laughs> they are such such tough preachers, no? Terrible church. Meaning, in the sense, you name it, you can claim it, it's all happening in that church. Okay. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. What does he call them? Saints. Those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Okay? Why? Because that's how God looks into your future. Meaning, if you believe, I'm writing to you a letter, I'm writing you a letter, and this is a letter from the Spirit of God. If you listen to it and take correction, this is what you are, and they take correction. You know one man is like pits, he's living with his stepmother. Okay, stepmother insist. But you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, they take correction. What you wear and what you are, what God can make you. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our br- uh, brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinthian with all the saints who are in culture. He calls the whole church as what? Saints. All saints. Okay, understand. That's how God looks at us. So this is what is important. When he comes and addresses Gideon, he's addressing Gideon not by what he sees, what he can become. Can become. Okay, there's a can there. It's not that you automatically become. That's man's part in it. That's the important part. That's why we f- preach so that faith will arise. You will believe and start taking those steps of faith and the power of God. Yesterday, Sunday when we looked, it says, it says, we are kept by the power of God through faith. Without faith, power of God cannot come in. It does not matter how much electricity is flowing on that main line outside, unless you pull it and connect it, it is not. All your electrical equipments will not. There is unlimited supply in God's kingdom. That's the power of God, called the Spirit of God, the grace of God. But unless you believe and take little little steps of it, one simple step of faith is: Did you pray this morning? A simple step. Did you read your Word this morning? And if you don't do those fundamental things, where do you expect the power to come into your life? It does it's not so difficult to pray. <laughs> it's not difficult. God is not asking you to recite a prayer in KJV. He's just saying, Will you talk to me? I will talk to you. Did you pray? Did you read your Bible? If you find KJV and KJV difficult, did you read good news? <laughs> it's still good news. Simple things. Simple things. Simple steps, even for little children, can do it. There's no child sitting here who does not know how to read anymore. Everybody knows how to read. And if you do not take those simple steps, what happens? The power of that's so why I said the potential is there. Will you be? If you turn with me, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse sixteen and seventeen. <clears throat> Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. He says, you are. You know what Paul is saying? I don't want you to know according to the flesh. I want to know who you are or who you will be in Christ. I don't look at you as you are now. I look at you as what you can be in Christ. He says, not even Jesus Christ. Because the last division of Jesus Christ for man is a poor man hanging on the cross, unable to save himself. Hanging, bleeding, beaten, die. He says, I don't want to know that Jesus. I don't want to know Jesus in the flesh. I want to know Jesus as he is really now. King of kings and Lord of lords. People are very romantic about Jesus Christ. They want to go to Israel. They bend down and kiss all over the places. Oh my Jesus. Paul says, I don't want to know that Jesus. He was limited. He was limited in the flesh. Yes, he had the fullness of God, yet limited by the flesh. Today he has the fullness of God, unlimited by the flesh. He said, I want to know him. I want to know him. That Jesus had limitations. He could never be at two places at the same time. If he was Jerusalem, he was in Jerusalem. He could not go to Bethany. To go to Bethany, he had to leave Jerusalem and go to Bethany. He was limited, though he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But today he says he's not limited. He's not limited. And that's what God is talking about. And therefore, the next word says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, the whole past is gone. God does not look at you as you were. If you are really in Christ Jesus, you are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. How do you know you are a Christ Jesus? Because old things start passing away. New things start coming into your life. All things are going away. New things are coming into your life, things that are connected with the kingdom of God. That is why the address God calls Gideon has had so much impact for thousands of years. That one address of God in Judges 6-12, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. If you search, you will probably probably see tens and Thousands of messages down history, recorded, unrecorded, thousands and thousands on this one line. Because it gives hope. This is what God calls this man. Fearful, desperate. You know what? You look into the mirror, you say, you know what? I see Gideon. I was fearful. I am desperate. And what does God say about me? Okay? What does God say about me? This is what God says. Mighty man of valor. That's what he calls Okay. Why does he call him? Because that's how God looks at his children. You see has <coughs> fathers, has parents, has fathers, parents. We all have dreams about our children. Pastor Vijay is here, Abigail is there, Emmy is there. Father, two children are there. So he has mathematical dreams. Okay. <laughs> all kinds of dreams. My father had dreams, you know, all but all his children he had his dreams. Okay. Parents have dreams. What we call dreams, hopes. I hope. They, I hope my child will become like that. I hope. Okay. You need to realize God is the father. God is the father. God has dreams for his children. God has hopes for his children. Look at the most well-known. Okay. People are in captivity in Babylon. And what does God say in Jeremiah 29, 11? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. God never ever thinks evil towards his children, whether it's Israel or the church. No. They're only good thoughts. Not of evil to give you a future and a hope. God says, I have dreams for you, Israel. I have dreams for you. Look at Ephesians 1, 18. He says, I pray God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and verse 18, that the eyes of understanding being enlightened. He says, I wish your eyes will open, spiritual eyes will open, that you may know what is the, Of his calling. God has a hope when he called you. Many are called. Many are called. And when he called, he called with a hope. Okay, When he calls Abigail, he has a hope. What is that? Abigail will one day end up in eternity like this. He doesn't call without hope. Meaning God has a dream for all his children. We have dreams, but our dreams are always, we think our dreams are great. But our dreams are all connected with this world. And it is temporary. Our dreams are not connected with eternity. God's dreams for his children are eternity. God looks and he looks at all his children and he says, you know what? I dream a dream for you. That one day you will reign with me. And he has got this huge universe. Imagine he is the emperor, right? not imagine he is the emperor of the world. And he's got this, let us say, 235 or 36 nations. And divide the nations into provinces and all. It will come, run into tens and thousands and hundreds and thousands. He says, I need people to rule. I have a dream for you. He looks at Abigail and says, Abigail, you know what, Abigail? Abigail would fit into this place. Maybe Slovenia. Look at her. She fits for Slovenia. I have a dream that she will believe, she will obey, she will take the steps of faith. And the day I come, I will say, well done, my good and faithful child. Come. You go to Slovenia. Run Slovenia for how many years, dada? A thousand years only. He's got a dream. 1000 years and once that is over eternity begins <coughs> that will be bigger than this do you see god has dreams <coughs> so when god comes and speaks over gideon it has encouraged hearts and minds of God's children for literally thousands of years because this is a man who is fearful this is a man who is a failure he is desperate, his self worth is nothing, zero, I am my tribe is the least, my clan is the least my family is the least and I am the least in my family to him God comes and says you know what, this is what you can be this is what you can be so understand when Paul says our eyes may be opened is so that Our eyes may be open to the hope of his calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It is not our inheritance. Not our inheritance. It is his inheritance. Let me tell you the difference. My inheritance is what I got from my father. I may pass it on to my children. But my inheritance in my children is that how I boast about my children. You know my eldest son is a GM. Second one. Sama Kamlode. Passion honors. Third one is working and he's earning more than the second one. The fourth one, he's doing extremely well, he's stopping. His the fifth one is getting ready for, you know what, that is my inheritance in them. Glory. That's what God is talking about. The hope, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the sin. You know, he's a father. He wants to boast about his children. And one day when Satan was roaming, he said, did you see my son Job? Did you see my son Job? There's nobody like Him. Nobody like Him. The hope of His glory. Our hope. He's called me to. Okay. Why do parents boast about children? Where did they get it from? They got it from God. Does lions boast about their cubs? No, some of them eat their own cubs or kill them. Have you ever seen a dog flaunting its puppies? No, they don't talk about their progeny. Only we do. You need a lot of things which we do, we got it from God because He breathed into us, created in His image. You know what God is talking about? I want to boast about you. I want to boast about you. He boasted about Job. He boasted about David. When David did not know himself and nobody knew about David, he says, you know what? i got a man in Israel. Nobody knows him, but he's a man after my own heart. And After David, if there was some king who was good, he says, he was like David. My son David. My son David. Okay, my son David. And this is what it's talking about, you know. We are the only set of people in the universe who have the capacity to make God proud. That's why it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And when he looked at his own son, he said, you know what? This is my son, you know, whom I am well pleased. What was he doing? He was boasting about his son. Worst thing about his son. Instead, we run after all the shiny toys of this world, the junk of this world, fill our mind and our lives full of garbage, and we grieve God. God is not desperate. He's not desperate. We grieve. We grieve. So we have a chance. We have a choice. I can make my father proud, or I can grieve my father. The choice is ours. You can never make our father in heaven desperate. Earthly parents get desperate. God never gets desperate. You can either make him happy, proud, or you can cause him grief. That is what Rachel was trying. Rachel was dying, and in her grief, she, she, she's, even in her death, she's not accepting responsibility. Probably she doesn't know. Why am I dying? Because I got idols of my father in my bag. That's why I'm dying. But in childbirth, she was dying, and she looked at Benjamin and said, you're a child of grief. Child of pain. The father says no. It's a child of my right hand. You know? So children can be either of this, like I said about Benjamin. Either it can be a child of grief, or a child of glory. It brings glory to God. Therefore, this is a book of hope. The Bible is an entire Bible is a book of hope. The, I told you on Sunday, the day mankind sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, before he sends them out of the garden, he does two things. First, he speaks hope. The seed of the woman will crush your head. Give some hope. You will win. Ultimately, man will win over the enemy who defeated you. The seed of the woman. Second thing he said, he killed a lamb, covered them and sent them out. He didn't send them out naked. He covered them. You sent against me. Let it be that between you and me. When you go out, nobody has to know it. I will cover you and send You know, that's what still God does. Let me ask you this question. Everybody, including me, sitting over here, everybody. Do you really want God to uncover all your sins? He never does. never does. He covers us. That's why we don't know what, nobody knows what we do if God were to, who knows everything we have thought, said and done were to uncover you everybody would run away from every church nobody would be able to sit there but God is a father what he did in the garden of Eden he still does today most Christians, most of his children will go to their grave without their sins being uncovered because God is a God of love he doesn't cover uncover them he's still the same he disciplines them he takes them through it all he cleanses them he covers them and he brings them home. When the prodigal son came, come back home, He's tried telling the father, shut him up. And he said, cover him. Cover him. And that's what it says when God says love covers. God is love. God is love. But he will deal with you personally, one on one. The thing is that if you don't allow God to deal with you personally and you continue that pathway, then to help you, help you, he may have to uncover it. That's what happened with David. But even that, I don't know whether the nation really knew. It was between him and Nathan in the privacy of the court. Because he wrote it, we know it. Otherwise, you would have never known it. Because, never known it. But God dealt with him one on one. I don't think anybody else knew it. It was public. It became public because David wrote it down probably Many, many years later, we don't know when it came out. And even when Psalm 51 is written, we know the story. Therefore, we interpret Psalm 51 that way. But those who are reading Psalm 51 without having access to the king's history, is never going to interpret it that way. Never going to. Just because these kings and chronicles were all written later. Written later by men who were moved by the spirit of God. You need to understand that is who God is. That is who God is, how He deals with His children. So there is Gideon. (coughs) There is Gideon. And Gideon (laughs) asked for a sign, okay? When you ask for a sign, God is not mad at you. Oh, how can you ask for a sign? God asked for a sign. Because God knows we are weak in our faith. When he was in the initial years of my life, how many signs I asked, Lord, please come. I mean, it is good to ask God for a sign. Because, especially these days, because there are so many deceivers and deception around. If you turn to verse 17. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. What is a sign he's talking about? which is a sign we should know, Lord, please, I see you, I heard your words and all, but how do you know how do I know it is you meaning I see who you are, but how do you look at the you it's capital. when I look at you, you look like a man, but how do I know this is God? This is the angel of the Lord hmm? how do I know angel is not coming like an angel, angel is coming like a human. And he says, just show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. So he's asking for a sign, right? And what is the sign that he wants to, uh, this thing, if you read verse 20 and 21, the sign he says is that I will prepare a goat and I will get bring an offering and I will bring it to you. He's saying one sign is that, that no, we have heard about sacrifice, Able sacrifice onwards part of our collective history as a nation. I will bring something. Okay, so the, the the angel of the Lord said to him, he said prepare and bring and if you take this sacrifice I will know it is you. The angel of the Lord said to him, Take the, the meat, the unleavened bread and lay them on this rock rock and pour out the broth and he did so. verse 21 then the angel of the lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the lord departed out of his sight now listen carefully listen carefully this is what the angel he said i will do this and the angel said this is what i will do you brought your offering brought your offering he says wait do you see that rock put it on the rock Put it on the rock. And read carefully. The angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and the fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat. Where did the fire come from? It came from the rock. That's a sign. When Elijah was trying to bring a people back to God, fire came from heaven. When Gideon or Manoah was doing, fire came from the rock okay? Fire came from the rock. And we know from 1 Corinthians 10.4, the rock is Christ. The rock is Christ, right? The rock that followed them was Christ. So the question God is asking us today is this. They all drank the same spiritual drink. They all drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock that rock was? Okay, so what the angel is saying is that pour out your offering on the rock, on the rock, and fire came from the rock and consumed it. What is God asking a child of God primarily to do? Go to Romans 12, verse 1. Of, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. What is the picture God is saying? He says, when you have genuinely offered your life to me, the fire will hit you. Fire will hit you. You know why pe- people are so lackadaisical, so cold, so complacent? It's because they haven't laid the sacrifice on the rock. They have laid it in other places, but not on the rock. They have not laid it on the rock. Because if you lay it on the rock, fire will come from the rock. It will come from the rock. And the fire never goes away. Paul is not telling Timothy, your fire is gone out. He says, fan it back. The fire is still there. Because you laid your life on the rock one day. The fire has gone down. Because you stopped fanning it. Because if fire has gone out, then he has to be relit. is not what Paul is telling Timothy. That is not what Paul is telling Timothy. That's not what Paul is telling Timothy. And that's what God does. And that is the Holy Spirit in us. That's the Spirit of God in us. And God will confirm this when He calls. Okay. If you, there is this fire, it never goes out. That even, even when you go away from God, the fire turns you back. Okay. Even when you don't want to do what God is wanting to do, the fire turns. That's what Jeremiah is talking about. I don't want to preach this message. I don't want to do these things. But you know, I cannot stop because there is this fire shut up in my bones. Fire shut up in these bones. And this is something that is real. And God is very patient. If you look at verse 19, it's interesting. Same chapter 6, Judges 6. So Gideon went in to prepare a young goat, an unleavened bread from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket, he put the broth in a pot, he brought them out to him under the cherubim tree and presented them. Think about it. I don't know here. Anybody who's butchered a chicken at least here? Yeah. Anybody show your hand if you butchered a chicken? Yeah. There are two of us who have butchered chicken. i have butchered many, many chickens live. this You know how much time it takes? Chicken. I'm not talking even about a goat. You know how much time it takes? You really clean it out, a chicken? How much time it takes? This is a goat. And then he's making something else. He's making a drink offering, a broth. You know what happened? While he's preparing the entire thing to be offered as a sacrifice, God is patient. He doesn't go away. He's just waiting. You know, God is waiting for us to prepare our lives to offer to him as a sacrifice, as his patient and long suffering. And I know in my own life, the call of God came in nineteen ninety eight. You know when I offered in ninety four, he waited six years patiently before I would surrender my life. Because he's long suffering and he's patient. He waits. He waits. He waits. He waits. He waits. He didn't he he didn't say, Oh, you're taking too much time. Let me go. He waited. When he came back, he's still there. He's still there. He's still there. No. That doesn't mean you need to waste your time. <laughs> you waste your time. God is not affected by time. We who are caught in time are affected by the loss of time. God who is outside time is never affected by. We lose. He never loses anything. We lose. Understand thing. God, e- God is patient. Okay? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Romans 2, 1 and 2. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be confirmed to this world by transformed by the renewing of your... Verse 1 is body. Verse 2 is put body and mind together. That's your life. Verse 1, body. Words to the mind in it, your soul. Put it together, that is your life. He says, offer your life as a living sacrifice. The fire will come. You know how long we take to offer our lives to God. Okay, But it is laid only on the rock. It cannot be put anywhere else. And God is patient. And Gideon is obedient. Even if you take your time, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't change your mind. Don't change your mind. Gideon did not change his mind. Okay, And what happens? Fire comes. Boom. Everything is gone. And the angel disappears. Verse 22. Judges 6, verse 22. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. So Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Our perception of God, who God really is, really happens only when we have personal contact with God, face-to-face. I'm not talking about like Gideon, face-to-face. But everyone will have an encounter with God, encounter with God, until that happens. We are not going to move forward. We'll go to church, we'll sing songs, we may take notes, we go back home. Nothing really changes. Nothing really changes. Nothing. Until that thing happens, you know what happens? Our spiritual understanding is limited. But when that happens, you know what he says? I have seen the angel of God face to face. Let me ask you this question. Can you prove that Jesus is alive in you? No. You cannot really prove to anybody that Jesus is alive. But you know. I know that I know that I know Jesus is alive in me. You may not believe. It's, it's a different thing. But I encountered Him. I met Him. And I was born again. I know. I may struggle with many things. But you don't doubt your salvation. Because you know you had an encounter with God. This is the key. This is the key. Okay? The confession changes. John chapter 16 verses 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is telling his disciples It's good for you that. It's your, I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. <coughs> but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, when he has come, I'll tell you the simple thing. When he has come, you will, ne- and you are become his child, you will never again sin in peace. Even when you sin and you enjoy your sin, after that you will be miserable. Nobody has to see it. Nobody may ever know it, but you are still miserable. Still will be miserable. Nobody may know in your entire lifetime. Nobody may know. Nobody would have known in David's lifetime. That man was miserable. That's what I say. You know what? You have an encounter with God. He has come in. That makes all the difference. From a doubt, skeptic, his confession is, I've seen God. I've seen the angel of the Lord. Angel of the Lord. And this is the key. This is the key. We need to realize, we are praying for so many things and everything. The actual prayer should be Lord. I pray, let your Holy Spirit fall. It will change everything. Everything. It will change everything. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, and Acts 10, 38. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. How does Jesus begin? You know why I am preaching? Jesus is. You know what I am preaching? But the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. That's where it begins. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon him. And uh, Acts (coughs) 10.38 The Lord anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. That was the key. That changed everything. 1 John 2.20 and 1 John (coughs) 2.27 But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. It does not mean you know all things but all things that you hear you understand because you have an experience with God. God has come inside and is teaching. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things And verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But the same anointing teaches you concerning all things. You know what happens as you walk in that anointing? That's what is going to happen to Gideon. Gideon has seen, my sacrifice has been accepted. I have seen God face to face. And Now he's going to grow. He's going to grow. That's the whole thing. Unlike Gideon, we are born of the Spirit. The Spirit of God is in us. Look at Isaiah 10 and verse 27. Isaiah 10 and verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day. His burden will be taken away from your shoulder, his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be yoke will be destroyed because of the winding <coughs> oil. <coughs> they said it has oil. We know it is not oil. It is the Holy Spirit. All the yoke of the enemy will be broken. You know why? Because you have encountered God. Because the Holy Spirit. That was the message that preached on the day of Pentecost. He preached. Why were they convicted? Because the Holy Spirit came. And how were they all born again? The Holy Spirit came. Three thousand were cut to the heart. They got baptized. They joined the church. And after that, nobody had to tell them to go for Bible study. You know what? Something had happened inside. The Holy Spirit had come. Verse 23. Sammy, have some tea, Sammy. <laughs> okay. okay. I want you to read verse uh, 21. 21, 22, 23, or maybe 21. The angel of the Lord put out the of Fire rose from the rock, consumed the meat, the unleavened bread. The angel of the Lord departed out of his the angel of the Lord departed out of his and the Lord said to him peace be with you the angel is gone but now God is speaking to you speaking to you now you start hearing from God that's the difference now God is speaking to he doesn't need an angel for God to speak to him he's hearing from God okay he's hearing from God and what did he say Peace is it peace. peace peace. that is the key. okay When you have peace with God, you will hear from God. The foundation is peace. that is where it is all starts right Romans 5:1 that is the foundation. <laughs> Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That's a foundation. Okay. <coughs> we know it in our homes everywhere. If, you, if two people don't have peace, they don't talk. If you want God to talk to you, you need to have peace with God. Okay. Sacrifice is offered. Fire comes of the rock. Everything is consumed. Angel disappears. He says, I have seen the face of God. I will die. Right? Isn't that verse 22? Yeah. He says, no. Yeah. Judges 6, 22, 23. Yeah. Alas O Lord for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Yeah. Okay. Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not shall not die. Shall not die. Revelation 117. You are not going to die. Have thoughts of peace, not thoughts of death. Right? Jeremiah 29:11. When I saw him I fell at his feet as dead. And I, he laid his right hand on me saying, "Do not be afraid." Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Okay. Okay. He says, don't be afraid. Peace. There is peace. Why? Because of the rock. Because of the rock. Fire came out of the rock and his sacrifice was accepted. Gideon did. Verse 24. (coughs) So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it's still an Orpha of the Abyssalites. Gideon did what we all need to do. Remember, nothing has changed for Gideon outside. Everything is the same. As far as you know, he nothing has changed. Outward situation is the same. Family is the same. Nation is the same. Not one thing has changed. One thing has changed. But he has peace. What did he do? He built an altar. He took the words of God, peace, and he built an altar, Jehovah Nissi. Now his profession, what he professed, has become his possession. He's possessing what he said. Okay, God said, you will not die, peace. He said, really? I have peace? Okay, then let me build an altar. And the altar shall be called Jehovah Nisi. And you know what? Every time you go back and you are condemned and you are struggling, go back to that altar when you first encountered Jesus and you were justified and you had peace with God. Cling to that horns of that altar and say, You know what? I will not listen to what you say. I will not listen to the voice of the enemy or the voice of the world. I have an altar and the altar is Jehovah Nisi. He is my peace. He is my peace, Jehovah Shalom. He is my peace, Jehovah. Lord. it's not a nisi; it is Jehovah Shalom. Yeah, Jehovah, Talk, take possession. Verse twenty-five. Now it came to pass the same night, the Lord. See, He's hearing now. He's hearing. Now. Like I said, why don't people hear? Because the altar is not there. You haven't offered your lives as living sacrifice upon the altar when you do that god starts speaking to you see let me put it across in language we understand let's say pastor vijay is here he's because his whole family is here so pastor vijay is there justin is there abigail is there emmy is there When Abigail is good and has obeyed what her father has told, especially done all her math tuitions and everything, father is happy, child is happy because her father is happy. Child is not happy because she did math, but she's very happy because she's like, Jesus, I want to please my father. Everything that you want to please your father doesn't make you happy, but because it makes your father happy, you are happy. You know what? There's a communication between the father and the child at the dining table. They talk. The father talks. On the other hand, she's been, mother, as soon as he comes home, Mama says, you know what, Abigail has been. She actually needs a spanking. She's been very naughty today, listen, didn't listen to anything. And they're all sitting down to eat. But there's no communication. There's no com- uh, Are they eating? Yes. God's rain falls upon the good and the bad. He gives us bread every day. But there's no communication. It's no communication. And that's exactly what is happening. Once the sacrifice has been taken, your life is a living sacrifice offered on the rock. Fire comes from the rock and consumes. Even though the angel of the Lord has disappeared, he's speaking. He's speaking. And you know what? Let us say 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, dinner is over. They go to their separate bedrooms. Even though her father is not present with her now, he's still speaking. He's still speaking. She remembers what her dad said. He's still speaking. God starts speaking to us. And we cannot have this without the other. Without the other. Our God is a God who continuously speaks. Continuously speaks. He spoke to him. Peace. Don't be afraid. You will not die. And the next day, same night, what does the Lord come and tell him? (laughs) What does he tell him? Take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years. Tear down the altar of Baal that your father has. Cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Same night. Now it's a different altar. Okay. It's not an easy thing what his father is saying. If you want to fulfill God's purpose in your life, you will have to tear down many altars in our life. Many altars. Altars are on which certain things are given, sanctified, set, apart, set up uh, set apart and sacrificed. And he's going to ask him something. What is that? God may I ask you to go against people who are very close to you. Go against traditions that has been passed down. Most difficult thing he seems like to be contradicting himself because he is the one who said honor your father and mother and you shall live long in the land. Now he's telling him to go and break down your father's altar. So God says there is honor and there is obedience. I think it's Deuteronomy 6.13. Yeah, 6.13. Just check if I, my memory is becoming a little like Pastor days. Sometimes it goes, you shall fear the Lord your God and serve Him. No, If you look at the Amplified, it will say, serve Him alone, only. You can honor everyone you want and you should. But you only obey and serve God, nobody else. That is why even the woman in the Bible, he said, submit to your husband in all things as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Fear the Lord your God, serve Him only. And you know what? His father is serving Baal. And the first thing he's told is to tear down his father's. So you honor your parents. But when the instructions your parents are contrary to the living God, you say, you know what? I cannot obey. You may get punished for that. You may be grounded for that. You may lose your pocket money or whatever, but I'm I'm okay. I will not dishonor you, but I cannot obey you here. And that's what Daniel and Daniel's friends said. The king said, 30 days, nobody shall pray. We will say, it's okay, I will pray on the 31st day. The Daniel said, no. That law doesn't agree. I will only serve God. If I agree to that for 30 days, I stop serving God. And I will not serve you. I will serve God. Daniel's three friends also. Please understand what is happening. You will have to tear down altars. If you want to continuously go ahead. There are a lot of altars that are built in our lives alters by our fathers, alters by our mothers. These are authority figures, alters by our teachers, because as you start growing up, they start building up things in our life. We came with our minds like a sponge. It is empty. And they're all feeding it. And let me be honest. They're not feeding us the word of God or the ways of God. They're not feeding us that. They're feeding us their own understanding. That's what Hebrews 12 says. when our fathers disciplined us, they disciplined according to what they knew. When my father disciplined me, he was not disciplining because he knew God and wanted to impart God's ways. He did not know God. But many of his disciplines were good. good. But not because he knew God. So there are lots of altars built in our life. And God will ask us to destroy it. Altars received from authority figures. Primarily first home. Then if you go to school, college okay you will have to build break down break down and what does he say take your father's young bull the second bull of seven years tear down the altar of Baal that your father has cut down the wooden image that is beside it cut down all those images break that build an altar to the lord your god on top of this rock in the proper arrangement after doing that he says you know the rock the rock on which I the fire came and consumed his sacrifice, build it there. Go to Second Corinthians chapter three, chapter three, and verse ten. Not even. Okay, first Corinthians, not second. First Corinthians three ten. Yeah. According to the grace which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Another builds on this, but let each one take it how he builds on it. Verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember where he put his offerings on the rock? Fire came from the rock. And he says, on that rock you build your altar. You cannot build anything that is acceptable to God other than anything other than the rock that was laid. That is Christ Jesus. And let every man be careful how he builds on the rock. Because fire will test it. You keep, you know why Christians life are like shambles? You know why? Because they are trying to build on the rock using stuff which God will not accept and the fire is forever consuming it. Because fire comes from that rock. Unlike the people in the world, people will say why do Christians have so much problem? Why are their families messed up? Why are their homes messed up? Why are the institution messed up? Because you are trying to build on the rock with material that is unacceptable. That rock is always on fire. The rock that is always on fire. And God says, no, my name is attached to this rock. So he's telling, break down your father's altar, cut down the Asherah pole over there, and you build another altar. Where do you build? Where my father built? No. you remember the rock where the sacrifice? And the rock was Jesus Christ. Remember that rock? On that, this is the foundation. On that you build. How do you build? Proper way. Proper arrangement. Go back to the word of God. The word of God has given in detail how you offer a sacrifice. How you build an altar. And it does not matter how important the occasion is. How much little time is left. How great the need is. It still has to go by order. Elijah on Mount Carmel. It's the evening sacrifice. Tens and thousands of people are waiting. The prophets have finished their time. The false ones still he does it all according to proper order. It has to be done in proper order. You, you, you can't do a sloppy job over there. It has to be proper order, you no know? proper order. One of the things which my father used to tell me when he was young is that uh, every exam finish fifteen minutes before time. Then go back and check your entire answer script to say that you may have a wrong answer, but it should be only one wrong. But it shouldn't be so many red marks on your paper. Go back through and correct the entire language. See that everything is in order. Everything is in order. Don't finish when the final bell rings. You have to finish 15 minutes before. Go back. Because he says, I'm talking to you as a teacher. When I see a paper in which there is no red marks, I will still give you marks because everything is in order. Even if your answers are not always right, there is order. Order. No? So sometimes you will realize, no, you will see in your school and you will get marks for neatness, punctuality. These are all character marks. Things. There used to be principal or assistant principal standing by the gate checking the students. Okay, so tie in order. When you are in class ten, you will put the tie a little loose to show people now. I'm in class ten. But we were very careful because I still remember my principal Babajatsan standing over there looking. Okay, to see if your tie was in order. You know, always because it goes. Now imagine we wrote board exams and got our marks. But was, what what it was it suppose it was like today? You got just promoted without a board exam, and your school marks is actually going to be counted. We didn't have that, <laughs> that luck. <laughs> okay. Okay. You think if these things matter in a school, do you think these things don't matter in eternity? Eternity? You know? Eternity? That's what God is talking about, you know? So remember, don't look at anything temporary. Don't judge anything by temporary. We are running a race where the results will be declared in eternity. Results are not declared. Paul says, don't judge. Even I don't judge myself. Judgment is set for another day. But the rules of the game are given. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Anyone who competes in a game must compete according to the rules. You cannot frame your own rules. That is what polit- politicians do. They keep on changing the goalpost. You can't. You can't change the goalpost. The rules are set in rock. which cannot be changed. And God says, I am there. Your life offer as a sacrifice. Fire will consume you. Power will come when you believe by faith. And you are running a race into eternity. And eternity will determine it. Okay. And he tells him, right, build a proper altar on top of this. Take your father's second bull, not the first one. We will give the first one. because The first one is very old. It's useless. Can't be used for anything. Probably 10 or 15 years old. He says, no, I want that prime one. Seven-year-old bull. Seven-year-old bull. Who will give prime things to God? Hmm? Serve your creator when you are retired. That is most Christians. When you are retired and knees and joints are creaking. Hmm? How do they pray? with uh, thalam. Hallelujah, Lord, hallelujah, hallelujah, you know, because they can't move. They did not serve when they were young. They didn't offer the seven-year-old prime bull, the best one, the youngest one, the strongest one, as a sacrifice. They didn't. They didn't. And there are young people sitting over here. Almost everybody is young, except me and my wife. Everybody is young. Have you offered? Or are you waiting for the old bull? That's what God is teaching us through Gideon. No? He's teaching us. God speaks. Once our life is offered as a sacrifice on the rock, God speaks. It's a God who speaks. We don't serve an idol. I, I, I don't understand people who come to me and say, God ever speaks to me. I have never. I say, go and check whether you're born again or not. <laughs> if you're born again, he speaks. Okay, He speaks. I mean, think about a baby that is born. That baby understands nothing. Okay, but how much do you know the parent talks to that baby? Coo-coo-coo, you're so cute. I mean, think about that. Where did we get this from? Where did we get it? Have you ever seen a dog speak to its puppy? A cat speak to its kitten? No, but humans go-goo-go over their babies. The baby doesn't understand a thing. One little dimple on his face makes them ecstatic. Where did he get it from? It's from God. Are you born again? God speaks to you. He speaks to you. He not speaks to you in an audible voice or a vision or a dream. He may, but it's rare. But he speaks to you. You know he speaks to you. It's in your spirit. Where were you born again? In your spirit. And God is a spirit. And he speaks to you. Listen to the ears of your spirit. When you read the word, however simple your language may be, or listen to a message, you will hear God speaks to you. And God speaks to Gideon. God speaks to Gideon. And more there is consecration. And surrender, you will see God speaks to you very, very clearly, very, very clearly. But whenever He speaks to you, let me tell you one secret. You know it, eh? everybody knows it. in Secret. Whenever He speaks to you, it will be always peace. It's peace it settles the matter. Doesn't matter what you're going through. Crisis. You're going. God speaks to you in that crisis. There is peace. Peace. You will not die. He will, he will not die Even if you're going to die he will come and speak peace. Hezekiah you're going to die. put your house in order, come home. Okay. Give some time. Give some time. okay I'm giving you time to put everything in order. There's still things in your life which are not in order. put that all in order and come home. come home. Okay. <clears throat> because like I said, you need to be very very careful about how God deals with his children. There is no despair. there is grief. God is never desperate. There is grief, but God is not, never despair. Okay? So we should have grief, but we should not be desperate. Because God never abandons His children. Never abandons His children. As we, do. we humans may abandon, but God doesn't. So God says to Gideon, you wanna move forward? You need to tear down altars. Because every one of those altars represents ideas and thy ideas oppose the knowledge of God in your life. These two will not live together. It will not. Shall we go to prayer? Did you notice something over there? God calls the son of an idol worshipper to be the deliverer. If Joshua goes to his house, what is what he sees? Altar to Baal, huge Asherah pole, and sacrifices going on there regularly. And that man's son is the one God called to deliver. And who was the first one who was called? Abraham. What was his father? Idol worshiper. You know, Joshua 24, 2, 3, We don't have to go there. He was an idol worshiper. <laughs> and it was an idol worshiper's son who was called to deliver people from idolatry. From idolatry. Okay, So like we said, the actual solution, you ever want to be delivered, you ever want to move ahead with God, the solution is this. Ask for the Holy Spirit. He is the fire. On the day of Pentecost, when He came down, He came down as fire. And after that, the church was never the same again. And you need to individually, personally, and as church, we guard that fire. As long as that fire is there, you will always keep hearing. God never stops speaking. There's no other solution. People are praying for everything all around the world, revival, restoration, you know what. Nothing is going to happen until the Holy Spirit is allowed control. Until the Holy Spirit. You give Him sovereignty to move in your lives, Take your hands off in your home, in your life, in your church. You will see things will start moving at an individual. okay, That's the key. There's no other key. And that's the altar of Baal. That is the altar of Baal. Okay. Like said, Israel was a nation at war. They had rest after the war. So they worshipped God as the God of war. But when peace came in, they started looking at Baal's. We started looking at bars. As long as we are fighting, we want God. When we start fighting, stop fighting with sin, you also look around. You wanna settle down. That's what we say, you wanna settle down. When we settle down, what do you know what? You look for ideas that will help you to settle down. That is how the prosperity gospel is sold like pancakes. How did it sell? Because they were settling. No no more war. Now what is America going through? God has just handed them over to the enemies. Okay. Delivered them. Okay. Not to destroy them. It is to discipline them. Hmm. It's not to destroy them. It is to discipline them. Okay. And that's why we pray. Understand discipline. Change. Come we will pray.